Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, imagine if you could remember one of your past lives, or maybe even two of your past lives, where today's guest can remember over 150 of her past lives. We have on the show Wendy Rose Williams, and she is a past life regressionist and psychotherapist. And Wendy is also a channeler, but we will have a special episode of her channeling later down the line. But for today, we're here to talk about past lives, how we can access those past lives, and what it's like living with the knowledge of past lives while you're still trying to navigate this lifetime. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Wendy Rose William. How are you doing, Wendy? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. You have a plethora of stuff that you could talk about in this episode, but we're going to focus on uh, your near-death experience and also your past life regression, which is something I'm really interested in as, as well, because we haven't spoken to anybody who's done specific that kind of stuff. We talked about past lives, but never in the way that you've done it. So uh, first question is, what was your life like prior to your near-death experience? Before that, it was, I would say, pretty pretty conservative. I was uh, married and uh, MBA, working in healthcare business development, and my husband worked in software development, and we had a little, little toddler and had been trying to get pregnant. So that mm-hmm. kind of sets the stage and the, the background. So just, you know, very busy, very traditional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spirituality was not on my radar at all did you did talking you come to from... angels was not on my radar <laughs> not so much right not so much so, is that a thing is that exact trust me i understand uh, i feel you on that so then can you can you go to the day that you had your near-death experience what happened sure uh, so it was august of 1997 and i was working at home and i'm the only one home no car and something just did not feel right, Alex. So I'm like trying to work, but I'd like go lay down. I'd go like running into the bathroom. Like, am I going to be sick? I just, I didn't feel right. I was 10 weeks pregnant at the time. I'd had just one OBGYN visit and mm-hmm. they, they felt everything looked great. But I kept having this strange, vivid, recurring dream. I didn't know what precognitive dreams were, but I almost every night was having this vivid dream. I'm out at sea. I can see the ship and everything is ripping and tearing like the winches, the cleats, just all this ripping and tearing and masts all fall down. And the ship always collapses and goes down in this big stormy 
doesn't take much of a dream interpreter for that one. Wendy, your ship's about to go down. I didn't know it. I just didn't know what to do with this dream. And what can you, you know, what can you do anyway, other than pay attention, pay mm -hmm. attention to your health, pay attention to what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I run in the bathroom again. And at that point, just this searing pain in my abdomen, I literally looked down because I thought someone stuck a knife in me. What is going on? I pass out on the floor and I'm laying on my side on the floor when I came to a few minutes later. And I only came to, I, I know I would have I just, that would have been it. But I did call out for help at that point of this searing pain. It felt like maybe an organ had burst. I didn't know what had happened. And I did, I did call out for help. I did call out to God. And so when I come to, it's only because there's this insistent male voice. And he keeps saying, Wendy, Wendy, you've got to call for help now. You've got to wake up. You've got to call for help now or you're going to go home. I knew exactly what he meant. I knew he meant I was going to die. Mm -hmm. So I open my eyes and I'm disoriented because this is all happening pretty fast, obviously unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And I'm laying on my side. So I look up in the bathroom and Alex, it, there was more light than I have ever seen. It was gorgeous. And I could see these four or five really large figures. I mean, the whole bathroom is just crowded. And I'm looking, going, what's going on? My bathroom is filled with angels. Mm. And they're floating a couple feet or a couple inches off the ground. And that's part of how I knew they were angels, because I could sense that there'd be like wings dragging on the ground otherwise. So much light coming off from them. It's like they're in robes. I can't really see features, but I know one's male by that voice. Mm -hmm. And my reply to him was, I understand, but I can't walk. And what I can't get to the phone. You know, it's it's 1997. We don't we don't have yeah, the cell phones, I, exactly. you know, glued to our hand or glued in our back pocket. Sure. And he says something very important. He says, you just have to be willing to try. So I think that was in hindsight, I think that was referring to free will because. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a free will planet and the divine can't just like run in and save us unless we've asked for help and are willing to do our part. So I managed to get up on my hands and knees and that took off everything I had. And by the time I did that, it was like being gently flown to uh, the bedroom right next, right next to the bathroom. And I'm trying to get the landline off the nightstand. And then I did have one second, I'm putting it to my ear, and I did have one second of, who do I call? He just said, call for help. I never thought to call 911. Uh, if there'd ever been a moment, that was it. But I had just, you know, I'm, I'm like young and healthy. I'm 36 mm -hmm. years old. I've never mm -hmm. called 911. Right. So I called my husband. And I knew he worked five minutes away from home. And I thought, if I get him on the phone right away, perfect. If not, I'll have to figure something else out. So miracles continue because I do get them right away. I've never reached them at work before. Mm -hmm. uh, and I give them a lot of credit because all I said was, I need you to drive me to the hospital now. Can you drive me to the hospital immediately? And all he said was on my way. And I heard him slam the phone down. 
So I call the OB office at that point, tell them what's happening. And I told them that um, I'm answering their questions. I'm like, no, I'm not bleeding, but my abdomen is distending like crazy. It's just getting bigger and bigger. I don't understand what's going on. And they said, that's great. Get here as fast as you can. That's perfect. Your husband's going to get you here faster than 911 at this point. Don't walk when you get here. Don't park the car. Just pull right up to the entrance. We're going to meet you with a wheelchair. Fortunately for me, the OBGYN office is located at the hospital. So I get whisked curbside mm-hmm. up, to, up to their um, office and straight into an ultrasound room. And they try and do an ultrasound, but they can't see anything. There's like nothing. And I actually said to the ultrasonographer, is your machine on? Is that machine working? Because I know what an ultrasound looks like. And you see a lot sure. of detail. There's nothing. It's just like black on the screen. And I see her put her game face on and she um, just says, I'll be right back. I'm going to get the position. Oh, no, that's not good. So, yeah, exactly. It's exactly <laughs> what I said. I look at my husband. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> so she comes right back with a physician and with a certified nurse midwife. And it is kind of comical because we've got five of us squished in this room that's like meant for two. Mm-hmm. And the physician um, adjusts the um, ultrasound machine and, and he can't get anything either. And he turns to me at that point and says, Wendy, we've got to admit you um, up into the hospital right now because you've got a massive bleed going on. And that's why your abdomen is distending like this. And that's why we can't see anything on the screen. That is all blood loss. You've got a massive blood loss going. That's what all that black is. It's your blood. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, brother. So <laughs> I get whisked. They go, they run and get a stretcher and take me and admit me straight into uh, the uh, GYN unit at the hospital. And I noticed too that they put me right next to the nurse's station, which I appreciated. But I worked in healthcare for 30 years. I also know that means we're concerned. We don't know what's going on. Put her next to the nurse station. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So they asked me my blood type and I know it. And I tell them, I think everyone should know their blood type. And you just get one of these free, um, it's called in case of emergency, an ice app for on your phone. And then if you're ever in a situation where you can't talk, you're in an accident, you're disoriented, you're going to have your phone and they can access that on your phone without knowing the password. They know your blood type, any medication, Mm. uh, allergies. I have instructions in it how to feed my dog, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because it's like, what would people need to know if I can't communicate? There's the details. So, um, so I'm lying in the hospital bed with instructions, you know, you can't get up even to go to the bathroom. We just need to get this bleeding to stop. So I'm trying to visualize that. I'm trying to visualize I'm going to be okay. The baby's going to be okay. Because again, I'm 10 weeks pregnant, very wanted pregnancy. There have been years of infertility. And we really were over the moon um, that I was pregnant. um, And this is actually my uh, fourth pregnancy, uh, one, one live birth. And the nurse comes back in and says, I can't believe this, but I was just speaking with Puget Sound Blood Bank. It's a regional blood bank for all the hospitals. There's no A negative blood available for her 
because there evidently was just a train collision three days earlier and they used up all the A negative blood. So we can't hang blood. So it's like, okay, so we're trying to assess what do we do? There's some discussion, do we go straight into surgery? We've got no blood. We don't know what we're operating on. So we agreed, watch and wait. And of course I'm gonna be closely monitored and they're gonna try and track down blood elsewhere um, from a hospital that sure, might sure. have it where it's already been distributed and see if they can bar borrow a unit from them. So they do hang blood about uh, maybe six hours later, and I can see we're going through it at an alarming rate. And my abdomen keeps getting uh, bigger and bigger. I'm blowing through all the pain reliever. I don't want to take any pain relievers. Sure, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. First yeah. trimester. Sure, sure. I have no choice. I'm just writhing in pain. I'm on morphine at this mm -hmm. point, very unhappy, um, cannot, cannot focus. I'm definitely walking between worlds. And Alex, what concerned me the most was I didn't really care. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be out of pain. I could not take any more pain and, and fear and worry. And that is so not my personality. I have never given up on anything in my sure, life. That's just sure. not me. But it was really hard because of the amount of blood loss. It was really hard to stay conscious. It was really hard to focus and answer um, medical personnel questions. So um, we waited and watched for about three days. And on the third day, of course, they're taking um, blood, doing blood tests every morning. Sure, sure. And on day three, my uh, physician says to me, uh, Wendy, you're officially bleeding out. Uh, we cannot, we can't transfuse blood quickly enough because you lose it faster than we can transfuse it. And this is probably not a surprise to you, um, but that we can tell by your hematocrit level and it's, it's dangerous. You're dying. Low. You're dying. You're, you're done. You're done. So we have to do surgery at this point. Will you please sign this form? So I said, yes. And I signed the form and we planned the surgery for the next morning um, with two OBGYNs and it's going to be at seven o'clock. So again, I know that means they're concerned because I'm first surgery of the day. We don't know exactly what we're going in for um, is also a concern. <laughs> so uh, there is some level of relief because I've made the decision. Um, and there's, there's really, there's really no other option. Sure. So I'm trying to relax after dinner that night. I'm alone in my hospital room and I'm trying to visualize the best possible outcome. The minute I do that, I pop right out of my body. I leave my body. And I remember looking back over my left shoulder and going, oh, wow, look at her, her. She's a mess. My God, couldn't they have at least brushed her hair? Because <laughs> <laughs> I look like this wild woman after having been in bed for you know days. And I also thought, wow, she is whiter than a ghost. She's really in bad shape. And then I was like, wait a minute, why am I referring to myself in the third person? Who's that and who am I? And I got it immediately. I'm like, oh, that's, that's Wendy. That's just, that's just one incarnation. That, that's not all of me. I mean, that's very important. It's my body, my present body. But oh my gosh, I am back in soul form. I feel fantastic. I don't hurt anymore. I'm not scared. I'm not worried. I'm not traumatized. All I can see is the light above me. 
and it is compelling. It's coming down through the ceiling of the hospital room. So I'm like, eh, she's okay. Very blasé. <laughs> Very blasé. Do not care. Sure, sure. So I'm going to follow the light. So I pop out of the top of the hospital and I'm now getting like the Google earth version. And it's like receding behind me because I'm going faster and faster, further away from the earth. And I can see it all below me. And then I kind of like ran out of gas and I'm like, oh, please don't make me walk through that long tunnel. And I didn't know very much at all about NDEs because again, this is 97 and I'm sure. not spiritually awake. It's not like I'm studying documentaries and podcasts and reading books on these topics like we do nowadays. Right, right. It's just so different. There's such great info available. But the minute I thought, please don't make me walk through that long tunnel, I won't make it. This pristine escalator comes in the minute I think that. And it's gorgeous. It's just for me. All this light is coming off it and I plop myself on the escalator. And the minute I did, um, it wasn't like putting my hand on the handrail. It's like putting my whole body over it. And my body was supposed to be, I knew at that moment, I'm supposed to be like a beach ball, like a soul and like all like energy and like a lightning storm and just all this energy. And I'm like over the handrail, like mm -hmm. flatter than a pancake. And I'm like, oh, thank you for the ride. Mm -hmm. So the escalator takes me up. The minute we get up to the top, I'm home. I'm like, wow, all this light. And I don't have a care in the world. Then there's a big welcoming committee for me right at the top of the escalator. And they stop me because I would have run ahead and the same angels were there. And the moment he spoke, I'm like, well, that's Archangel Michael. He spoke to me in my bathroom. I know exactly, I know that voice. I know that energy. And so there were the five angels and there were about another 15 beings of light. And everyone's like hugging me and they're like, you made it. And Archangel Michael says, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. You've done nothing wrong. You are welcome to stay. But if you want to go back, you're going to need to make the decision quickly. So here's what I can tell you. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm having my reunion here. <laughs> Give me a second. But I'm like, okay, I need to listen because he knows better than me. And I think what he's referring to is that body in the bed's not viable for very long without, without the soul in it, without the life force is absolutely gone from it. So he says, I can tell you three things and you then need to make your decision. Number one, um, if you uh, choose to go back, you will have a successful surgery tomorrow. You will fully regain your health. So I'm like, ah, oh, that is huge. Number two, your baby will be born healthy. Again, this is huge. huge. Number three, so we all wanna go back now, right? Number three is the kicker. And what he tells me is, if you choose to go back, your life will be very difficult, likely for many years, because you're not on your life path. So Alex, I'm horrified. I'm chagrined. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to do the right thing. What am I not doing? What should I be doing? Please tell me, what's my life path? 
And he just gently shook his head. I'm like, oh boy, no info there. But hey, come on. There's 19 other beings here approximately. Someone, someone's going to spill it. Exactly. Let's look for the chatty Kathy in the group. Exactly. Group behavior, right? So I'm looking all around. I'm like, come on, tell me. Come on, come on, come on. What's my life path? Help me out here. Just need a little info. And no one will tell me. So I start to deflate even further because this is a really hard decision. And they see me deflating more. So they start being funny. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Because that is the best way to raise our vibration and frequency. It's just smile, have some sense of humor, try and find the humor in it. So they start like putting duct tape over their mouths. They start like locking them with the key and throwing the key away. But everyone's being really comical. So I'm like, okay, I need to just calm down. I'm very fortunate. I've had this experience. I'm very fortunate. I've been told two huge things and I'm just going to have to figure out the third. So uh, Archangel Michael asked me at that time, what do you want to do? Um, Do you want to, do you want to stay home? Um, Or do you want to go back um, and, and finish out your life? The minute he asked me that, all I could see was my daughter, Tara, my toddler, who was about 18 or 19 months old at the time. All I could see was her face, but it wasn't normal. It was like the IMAX, the Mm -hmm. 70 foot. It filled my world to see her adorable little face and her brown curly hair. And I knew I was gonna regain my health. And I knew Mm -hmm. I was gonna have another baby Mm -hmm. that was gonna be born healthy. So I immediately, I I look at Michael and I said, Put me back in, coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm ready to play, just like just like the song, and I'm gonna have to figure it out. So they gave me another huge hug. And that second hug that I got, I realized it wasn't just unconditional love, because that's what I felt the first time when I got up there and I wanted to stay. Mm. Because why would you ever want to leave that? Of course. We don't, we don't feel enough of it. So we've got to learn how to give it to ourselves, first of all, and not be so um, hard on ourselves. And we've got to learn how to give it more to other people in a way that they can feel it and perceive it and know, you know, their love language, so to speak. But that second group hug, when I said, I want to go back, was I could feel the energy coming to me. And I don't think I would have made it through that surgery the next day without that divine intervention, because I now felt so much bigger, so much more hopeful, just so much um, more back to more back to normal. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thanked everyone and they put me back on the escalator and I'm just looking over my shoulder and like waving and everyone's like in cheerleader mode. And they're like, you can do it. We'll be with you. We'll be helping. And I'm like, I've never felt any connection before Mm. like this. So I just went easily down the escalator. And this time the escalator went straight into my hospital room and I just went plop into my body. And I'm like, oh, dang, this thing hurts, but it's going to get better tomorrow. I'm going to have the surgery and everything's Mm going to be okay. And you made it and you obviously made it out. Okay. 
Exactly. So did have the surgery. What they found, they did, um, they did ultrasound. They must have had some sort of imaging going on because the surgeon was able to tell me um, what happened. And he said it was actually your fundus uh, that ruptured, which is the top of the uterus. And it's an aorta. Got it. So it was pumping out blood and they estimated I lost three quarters of my blood supply during that. That's not good. During that, you know, that process of that, that, um, that week in the hospital, et cetera. But he also said we could see the fetus, which of course is like a, less than a peanut. And he said, um, just, it was so far tucked down in like the lower left of your uterus. And we were so careful. We were sewing, we were surgically repairing at the top of your uterus. Um, so then I had to go through the pregnancy, not knowing if that was going to hold because of course you go through such, you know, massive growth. Well, well, let me ask you this though. So after you get back from your near death experience though, uh, do you process this? Do you, do you think it's, it's, it's a dream? Do you like, how do you process it? And then what do the people around you say when you start talking about it? That is the perfect question. I knew it was more real than real. I knew it was not a dream. It was, there was a lucidity to it. There was a vividness to it. There was a crispness to it that could not be argued. I was not sure who to speak with. I tried to share it with my husband and he was so freaked out by the entire experience. Oh yeah, trauma. He's traumatic. Yes, traumatic. It was very. It was actually more traumatic, I think, for him than it was for me in some ways because I got to have the right. two trips home, right. and he didn't get to have those. So we didn't have very much of a conversation because he just. He you just said couldn't. two trips. You said two trips. You did a second. Well, one. meaning. I see it as two separate NDEs because there was in, in at home. Oh, those two trips. Yeah, yeah. Happened, yeah, 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 yeah. Two, two within a week Got at it. home in the bathroom mm-hmm. and then the night before the surgery. Got it. Got it. So those, yeah, he didn't have the benefit of that kind of love Correct. or even information to help process Correct. it. So I didn't did, speak with hospital personnel about it. I just, uh, I just yeah. didn't you think knew. there was a, a belief system for it. Well, so, okay. So this is 97. So again, yeah. like you said, anybody who's talking about near death experiences, past lives is a quack essentially. Uh, exactly. Like Shirley MacLaine came out in the nineties with her book about her past lives and people are like, she's lost her mind. Uh, and so yes, where do you go? How did you, how long did you hold on to this information before you decided to come out of the closet? 20 years. Jeez. I did not speak of it for 20 years. And the irony wow. of that, Alex, is IANS, the International Association mm-hmm. for Near-Death Studies, mm-hmm. is the Seattle chapter is the oldest in the country. And I would have so benefited from having gone to that. But evidently, I was meant to process it alone or I would have found IANS. Sure. So, um, you know, it's just, it it all plays out the way it's supposed to, but I couldn't language it. It just, it just was, it just, I didn't know what to do with it. And also I was 36 years old. So I then go through this very stressful pregnancy and two more, three more incredibly difficult things happen during the pregnancy um, that we'll, we'll, I'll recap if you're, if you'd like me to, but it's just, it's like, there's no context for it. 
And since I've studied NDEs since then, I have found this is very common that many people don't speak of them for decades. Oh, well, especially during that time, anything that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, is right. it, it, they held a long time. Right. right. Very few people came out publicly about it in the 2000s, especially in these last 10 years or so, it has become much more open. It's, it's people talk yes. about going towards the light and it's in the zeitgeist. The consciousness is raised. There's now, there's now, sure. um, it's, it's safe to talk about. It's These conversations just, happen now. shifted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, based on just the numbers that we get and, and numbers of, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of people who watch these conversations every day. So people are searching for this information. So it is much more accessible now and also open. and open to be able to have these conversations mm -hmm. uh, publicly about it. But holding on to that kind of information for 20 years, I couldn't even comprehend it. It'd be so difficult for me to think I'm walking around with this information and I can't talk to anybody about it. Uh, but so then I, so I kind of buried it because I didn't really know what to do with it. It wasn't, it wasn't like, it weighed on me. It's sure. just, it's just, it's just like I closed the chapter and I had a feeling that I might resume reading that book at some point, <laughs> right. but I just, I just, you know, didn't know what to do with it at that time. So I just, I just closed it and left it alone. But like I said, nothing fades from it. It just, it just, the, the lucidity of it and just how vivid it is. Mm -hmm. um, it's still, it's still very, very real. So then how did you go from, um, I, I'm assuming this led you towards the work that you do with past life regressions. Yes, like but boy, there was quite a delay. Um, yeah. So what what happened is um, I go back to work um, after a couple of weeks of bed rest at home and back into a job I love. Uh, everything's going great. And people would ask me in the hall, because I've been out of, I was not at work for like six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, when you know all this all this happened and so people passed me in the hall I worked in a busy uh, ambulatory surgery center and ophthalmology practice so people passed me in the hall my co-workers and they're like Wendy we're so glad you're back great to see you what happened and I'm like how <laughs> as they're like running to room the next patient is I'm like running to do it's like I don't know how to language any of this sure, <laughs> just, of course. and I'm like I'm fine I'm just everything's fine I kept the pregnancy. I held the pregnancy. Sure. This is kind of all I would say basically was I was able to hold on to the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was the pertinent point. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So how did you get, so how did you make the leap to uh, your work in past life regression? Yes. So what happened is I end up getting uh, laid off from that job, job I love. Uh, I now have no health insurance. And one week later to the day, this is November of 1997, um, economists would know, <laughs> getting a big dip, getting a big dip in the US uh, economy, world economy, but you know, we didn't know that was coming. One week later to the day, uh, my husband uh, comes home from work and says, I have something really hard to tell you and I've just gone to payless paydays and we basically, he was one of five owners of a successful software company. We've had to lay off everyone, but I'm going to be at work trying to figure out how to get the company sold. What do we do about the leases, the furnishings and equipment? And I'm going to be programming. 
because we've got to fulfill these contracts. And I'm looking at them. I'm still stuck on Payless Payday. I can't hear any. It's just blah, 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 beyond Payless Payday. I'm like, what is Payless Payday? That Those words don't go together. So he slows down and explains again, I'm going to be working more than full time. I will not be getting paid. And there's also no unemployment because he was self-employed. So I didn't understand that either. So we're now down to just my unemployment, no health insurance. We're heavily mortgaged. We have a full-time nanny and just bought a new van and just changed houses. So mm. it's like fantastic. Arch, Arch Michael did say so. It's going to be tough. He did. And I did not feel well. I still did not feel well. Um, so I'm still, you know, regaining my health and just stressed to the max. It's not a great time to be job searching, but I tried. I'm also trying to uh, keep the financial ship um, afloat at home. And I kept remembering that dream with the, the ship going <laughs> down. And I thought, yeah, that had kind of multi layers to it. So, bottom line, we were able, uh, we were thankfully saved by Bank of Mom. And my mother uh, made a loan to us each month for the months, whatever we were, we were short. Cause I did get some severance, you know, did have some sure. unemployment. But what was different, and this is getting to how did I get into my work today? What was different was I was starting to be able to hear guides and guardian angels and my higher self, but I didn't know exactly what it was or what was going on. So I'm in the pediatrician's office. I'm pregnant. I've got the, um, our uh, older daughter with us pretty near the end of my pregnancy. And I hear Archangel Michael as clear as day again. And he says, look, look. So I'm looking madly all around as some you know, child going to get hurt. What's going on? And everybody's okay. And then I see all this light on this little uh, side table. And I run over to it because I can see it's lighting up a brochure. So I run over it and I grab it and stuff it in my bag to read it home. What it was, it was the application form for WIC, which I'd never heard of. It's women, infants, and children. It's a type of Medicaid. Is the first thing we could qualify for because we didn't qualify for anything because we owned a home. Mm -hmm. We owned vehicles. So we weren't able to get any help because we were wealthy. Obviously. So, um, but I'm like, wow, an angel told me, look, look. That's fascinating. So, and that was huge because now we had health insurance to be able to deliver. So that was a big deal. And I delivered on March 13th, 1998, healthy baby girl is born. And the, the uh, planetary astrology must've shifted that weekend <laughs> because that same weekend, uh, my husband had gotten his company sold and was going back to employment in the new company on Monday. So she's born Friday. It's a drive-through delivery, meaning very short hospital stay, but grateful to have that. So I'm home Saturday, just trying to process. I've been able to deliver this healthy baby because what the risk was from having uh, sure. surgically done that to my uterus was they were afraid. And I said, well, what happens if it ruptures again? They said, you'll likely die because it's going to go straight into your heart and lungs. I'm like, okay, thanks. Good. Good to know. I can now worry about that for seven months, which is what I did. I mean, obviously I was being closely monitored, but that was not an easy pregnancy with all the financial stuff that, you know, just fell all around our ears. So I'm home holding this newborn. She's about 12 hours old. 
I'm alone at home and just thinking, ah, can't believe she's here. I'm so grateful. We made it through. And I'm just like starting to like, just like beam with joy for a second. And then Archangel Michael comes right in again. And he says, your contract with your husband is complete. Oh. <laughs> I say a lot of unladylike words, a lot of pirate language. Yeah, sure. Yeah, a lot of swearing goes on. Almost dropped the baby. I was like, what do you mean? My contract with my husband is complete. And I couldn't hear anything more from him. He just, it felt like he just left. And I'm there like, what? Can I even catch my breath? Um, you know, with these experiences, because this has been really hard, like you said, challenging, really, really challenging. So I knew he meant the marriage was over, but I also just had the intuition. We get to choose again, it's free will. So, you know, what, what are you meant to do? We did our very best to be, um, you know, great parents, partners, etc. But I knew it was over. And that's a pretty darn hard way to live. Mm. So we, we lived that way um, until the, uh, our two daughters were uh, full-time in schools so until they're six and eight. So I went six years knowing that information and I knew it was true. And I also sensed I could just stay permanently, but I wasn't happy. I hadn't been happy for a long time. And I also sensed that we weren't going to be on our life path and we weren't going to grow. So it just felt like it wasn't doing the right thing. Right. So we did, we did divorce. And so now they're six and eight. And then it took me about six more years to completely rebuild, rebuild life, get life really happy again, which will now answer your question of how did I get to what I'm doing? So that came about, my daughters are now 12 and 14. Life is fantastic. My mom and I have uh, built a duplex together. My career is fantastic. Everything's so wonderful that I finally take a breath and say, it's missing. Oh, wow. A great guy. <laughs> like I've been divorced six years. I haven't wanted to date. I've had no interest in it. And so I asked my younger girlfriends, I'm like, how do I meet a great guy? Because I'm not like meeting anybody through church or through friends mm -hmm. of friends. And I'm really busy and I'd love to meet someone. So my younger girlfriends told me, oh, Wendy, that's easy. You just go on match.com. <laughs> and I'm like, match.what? What are you saying to me? I don't understand what you're, I didn't know what online dating was. Mm -hmm. So they explained the concept to me. They helped me put a profile together. And I'm on there for a couple months and it match works by geography. How far are you willing mm -hmm. to be from the other person? So the minute I changed it to 10 miles, the first profile that came up, I'm looking at it. I can't look away from the screen. It's like, I know this man. I know him. I know him. And it was a soul level recognition. And I also, I read through his profile, which was very unique, but it was like, I knew what yeah. it was going to say two sentences down before I read it. And the last sentence was any woman on a spiritual path, particularly one interested in LBL, we have to meet. So uh, I'm madly Googling. LBL? 
Exactly. I'm like, let's make sure this is not a drug reference. <laughs> right. Anyone's into LSD, call or me. Or something weird. <laughs> something weird. Let's Seriously. make sure this is not weird. So I Google and I just, I'm like, okay, help me find the right LDL because that may stand for multiple things. Sure, sure. I immediately found Dr. Michael Newton, Journey of Souls, Life Between Lives which is an advanced type of past life regression, but it's much, much more, but you have to have a past life regression first. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my gosh, this book looks amazing. It's not just a book. It's like, everything that's been missing. And I was just, it all came crashing in. Yeah. It's like, everything was like coming together and like reorganizing itself. And I'm like, Oh, I think I'm starting to understand the NDE. And it was like, everything was shifting and changing because I found this match profile. Mm -hmm. So I ordered the book from the library. Um, Again, it's, it's 2010 now it's not a Kindle instant gratification. I would have had it in three seconds and been Mm -hmm. reading it. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting for the book to come and I write to him right away. And I, I asked him, I said, is LBL life between lives, Dr. Michael Newton journey of souls. Do I have the right reference? And he writes back immediately and says, yes, are you familiar? I'm getting ready to go for my second LBL. I said, I'm not, I've not gone through any of this, but this is fascinating. I ordered the book and he and I then play the game of how do I know you? Because we're thinking we've met in this lifetime. We're, we're trying every, it took us three weeks to meet. So we're on the phone, we're emailing, we're texting. Sure, sure. How do I know you? And we didn't, we had not met in this lifetime. We meet in a restaurant for lunch. It's a work day. And I got there first. I'm sitting on the bench in the foyer looking toward the, the door. And the minute he walks in, I can feel, it was like an earthquake. I can feel. <laughs> I know the feeling. whole world moving and i know it's him people don't always look like their match photos let me tell you and he comes right over to me i can't stand up i cannot stand up and he got down on his knee in front of me and he had his hands like right by my face and he's like i know you and he helped me up. He kind of took me by the, by the, you can see I like, I was like gobsmacked. I like, I can't move. And he helped me up and I'm like, oh, okay. Act normal, Wendy. <laughs> Walk into the restaurant and have lunch. Three hours later, neither one of us wanted to leave, but we had to get back to work. So we had figured it out at that very first lunch. It's like, I know you from past lives. I know you from multiple past lives. I know you, I know you, I know you. We're finishing each other's sentences. And there's also this feeling of wanting to catch up. So there's this deep, deep, deep familiarity to it. And we, you know, we set our next date, we plan our next date um, and just, don't know where, where the ride's going to take us, but I know it's going to be profound. And I was over time able to determine uh, what our soul contracts were together. I see soul contracts as agreements we make with other souls at home before we incarnate. They're going to help us progress. So it's just an agreement. And his soul contract was to wake me up spiritually, which he did with a bang 
by introducing me to Michael Newton, Journey of mm -hmm. Souls. We then um, dated for 13 months exclusively and I'm seeing the other contracts. I can see the contract to have a happy marriage later in life. Um, I'm now like, you know, 50 by this time. He's eight years older than me. I've been divorced once. He's been divorced twice. So we also know we're supposed to uh, help others with their spiritual awakening. We know we're supposed to write books together. We know we're supposed to be um, on air together, radio, television. He, it's important to understand, he was a sportscaster. So he had, he had, he was also a published writer. So, you know, these pieces are all coming together and they're making a lot of sense. So what happens um, at month 13 is he ends it. He ends the relationship by email. Oh, more unladylike words. Yeah, I'm sure. Swearing. Um, because it just, you know, no opportunity for closure, no opportunity for conversation. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, I, waited about three days to be able to form coherent words <laughs> mm -hmm. and then called them and said, got your email. I completely agree. Based on what you've said, we should no longer be dating. I agree. Um, but I would like to have a conversation. Can we please meet for coffee um, to just close this out because it needs some closure mm -hmm. and sending an email is not enough. Is is the most chicken shit thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so he did. He did agree. He, he's, his excuse was, "I thought it was kinder." I'm like, mm, "Interesting." He whatever. doesn't know. Obviously, he doesn't understand women. <laughs> what, whatever. 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 It was easier for him. <laughs> right. I was going to say, dude, it's a very dude move, right there, my friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, we had the most one of the most powerful and I think strangely one of my favorite conversations of my entire life it also lasted three hours and I it took me a long time to realize wow we started with a three hour in person and we ended with a three hour in person but the end wasn't the end because I was absolutely meant to go for a past life regression session of my own and from having spoken with him and studied with him mm -hmm. and worked with him because he'd been working on all this sure he found me the first therapist and my session was scheduled for not long after we we broke up mm -hmm. and he was begging me we broke up in september and my session was scheduled for november and he was begging me please let me drive you to the session i'm supposed to drive you to the session and i'm like supposed to really based on whose authority, based on what information. <laughs> that was him feeling the soul contract to help wake me up spiritually because it absolutely was to go for that past life regression. So I grudgingly, not gracious at all, gritted teeth, grumpy pants. <laughs> oh, all right. Because <laughs> there wasn't really Uber and Lyft at that time. And sure. you know, it's like, whatever. So... <laughs> A pretty, pretty sullen drive to, you know, get there. We go there. I have this incredible session, start to understand some of the relationship and the contracts with him while he has to make himself scarce for two hours. Um, it was funny that the therapist, um, she said, tell 
whoever's bringing you, he can't even be in the building because you guys have so much energy between you mm. to unwind. I don't even want him in my building. I'm like, because he'd say, can I like be in the room with their ask you there? I'm like, absolutely not. And well, can I wait in her waiting room? And I'd asked her that. And she's like, tell him not to even be in the building. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so he, you know, went off and did whatever. So, but it did help us start to unwind because the next contract I discovered with him was his role was to break my heart repeatedly until I stood in my power fully mm. without abusing it. That is a brilliant contract, but obviously very painful. No one, nor should you agree to have your heart broken repeatedly. So we, we could not be in a romantic relationship anymore. So we agree to part ways. He still wants to sure. be friends. And I'm like, no way on earth. Uh, you know, we've, we've finished it up with you taking me to this first session. That first session was so incredible. And here I am, a very type A left brain. I've had my MBA degree since I was 22. Very, you know, stressed out from this, breakup that really honestly broke my heart sure. more than any heartbreak I've ever experienced. So, um, but it was incredible because we not only cleaned up with that two hours, we cleaned up so many things from this lifetime that were still traumatic and bothering me. I found two past lives and a lot of detail and more filled in. She gave me great suggestions she said, you know, go home you know, listen to your tape when you're ready, take your time, write some notes and more may come to you in dreams or you'll just wake up knowing it or whatever. And she was right. So I just started writing it because more and more filled in from those two lives. So what? And, would the, so if I have to stop you for a second because uh, what was those sessions? Like, did you, when you go into a past life regression, what actually happens? Do you actually- What actually happens is your therapist helps you relax just get grounded just mm -hmm. set this lovely stage where you're able to uh, typically you do some guided imagery together you do some visualizations mm -hmm. um, anyone that's done any of that type of work including athletes athletes are fantastic um, visualizers mm -hmm. so because you have to be able to visualize it to be able to have your body do it, to, to make that high jump to land that gymnastics mm -hmm. you know stick your landing whatever it might be so we were so shocked though, because I didn't meditate. I had no spiritual practice, pretty uptight, controlling kind of person. And she'd said to me, we're just going to have to let go, Wendy, and see what you can do. And you have to be okay with, we may not get very much. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show because you're not an ideal client, you're not an ideal patient. And instead it was like duck to water. It was like so much came through and I was like, oh my gosh, the end of that two hours, Alex, I no longer had anxiety. I'd had anxiety my entire life. And I'm like, it's gone because I don't need it because I can see the bigger picture because we've got many opportunities to get it right because we can keep, you know, mid-course corrections. I just don't need to be anxious anymore. I don't need to play it so small. I don't need to be so hard on myself. It just, 
everything changed in those two hours in that first session I had with that therapist. And at the end of it, I said to her, okay, sign me up for the LBL. I'm ready to come back in one year from now for an LBL. And she's looking at her calendar going, I don't think my book even goes that far (laughs) a year from now. And she also wanted me to come for a series of past life regressions. And I said, I'd love to, but I don't have the finances to do it. I don't have the time to do it. Super busy, single mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, it's not going to happen. Please sign me up for the LBL. Have I not now technically qualified? I had the prerequisite of a successful past life regression. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, there's healing going on during the session. Sessions are different with different people. The way I do the sessions is first, we just do some breathing exercises, have the person get comfortable. They're at home. It's via Zoom. I mm-hmm. record it for them. So it's their own environment. It's their own you know, sounds around them, which is a plus. And, um, and then we, we do the breathing exercises and then we go to a healing temple. And in the healing temple, we bring in a series of colored healing lights and they just have to imagine what color comes to them, where it goes on their body, And I just work with that light with them as a healer because I'm not only a past life regressionist, I'm a Reiki master energy healer. I'm a certified spiritual teacher. So a lot of things changed um, from that initial initial, uh, background and training and work of being an MBA. I went through Mm -hmm. a very, very Mm -hmm. big change um, with that NDE being like this linch point in the center pin that then, you know, swung um, a different way because it opened the doors, but I didn't know what to do with them until I met that match soulmate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the doors started to open and things, things started to make sense. And I, I started to retrain without realizing I was retraining for a different career. I didn't realize it at first. So, so um, let me ask you uh, the, there's, all right, so there's past life regression and there's life between life regression. So yes. a past life, can you give me an example of one of your past lives? Who were you? Where did you go? What did you sure. remember? I'll give you the very first two that came up and it was in that first um, session with the Newton therapist. So the very first thing I saw, um, and it's different for everyone. First thing I saw was I could see it was a busy city street and I could see a bicycle on its side um, and no one on it. It's like laying on the ground, but its wheel is spinning. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling like, oh, has there been an accident? It's, you know, this shouldn't be in an intersection like this. I hope everybody's okay was my first impression. Mm -hmm. And then the therapist guided me. She said, okay, that's great. You've got the scene. We'll figure out where you are. You're doing great. Look down at your body and describe your body. And typically what's done in past life regression is you have the person look at their feet because that helps us ground. Mm -hmm. And it's just a simple series of questions. What are you wearing on your feet? If anything, describe what's on your feet. And then you go further up their body and then you determine, are they male or female? You get a lot of context from what they're wearing. I can help you with time and place. Uh, Are they male or female or androgynous? Um, Are they outside or inside? Does their body feel healthy? So we just ask kind of these basic questions to help them orient. And then for most people, then, um, you know, they're able to orient as you lead them through and you just take them to, okay, let's go to the next place. um, Next important day in your life. Be there now. And you just, it's, it's a combination of, of supporting and, and um, cajoling, talking people through. And then there is some instruction at certain points, like to be there now. It doesn't get any more harsh than that. People have free will. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be shown anything 
that is too traumatic for them. There's no re-traumatizing going on. It's their higher self, their soul, and their guides choose what's best for them to see and learn. Often we're going to a lifetime of origin of where a fear or a phobia came up, something mm -hmm. that they're ready to release and let go of. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are just deathly afraid of dogs. And this is, <laughs> dogs are all over the world. You know, it's just that, that's an issue. Water, intimacy. Heights, yeah. Heights, relationships, um, uh, you know, just whatever it might be. So often we're going back to that place and that time. And I'll just tell them, be there now. And what's happening? And then they just tell me. So it's open-ended questions with support and with a little bit of direction so that you're leading them through so that it's so, a productive session. So then what was your, where did you, where did you go first? Where, where I found I was, I was actually in London and I got that pretty quickly because I could see a Bobby and I knew what the uniform was for the British policeman because it's pretty distinctive. So I recognized what a Bobby looked like mm -hmm. and I was in a market. Uh, so I'm out in this uh, fresh air market. I'm this wealthy, you know, based on clothing and just my attitude and how I'm behaving. I'm a wealthy um, young woman. My uh, father is a banker and I'm late teens, early twenties, still living at home. And I had snuck out because I was not supposed to be out unattended because, you know, young ladies at that time did not do that. But I decided I was going to sneak down to the market and I couldn't find anybody to take me. So I just decided I wanted to go shopping for some cheeses. So I snuck out and I witnessed um, a man who I recognized. I knew he lived a couple streets over from us. Um, he was not of the same class. He had lost his job. I knew by just, you know, hearing chit chat that his wife was sick and he had multiple children. And I saw him stealing. So I saw him stealing food. I knew he darn well needed that food. So when the, um, when the, um, market, you know, the vendor, whoever um, put up the you and cry of, hey, stop thief. And he's being chased because his poor luck, there was a Bobby nearby. The Bobby came to me because I was right in the vicinity and said, where'd that man go? You know, a man just stole food. Where'd he go? You must have seen him. And I had to take my whole life of conditioning. Do I follow authority? Do I do what my parents would want and expect me to do? and do the right thing. Well, you know what? The right thing wasn't right because there was no safety net for people. And this man was trying to survive and trying to have his family survive. You can sure. hear there's still emotion from sure, it. Sure, of course. So I darned well uh, Did... sent that Bobby the wrong direction. <laughs> and awesome. I also, and this is so funny because it's like not my personality because I'm not, I'm not flirty, but she was very flirty. And she's like, oh, I think you went that way, but I'm not quite sure my way home and my bag's kind of heavy and my father's so-and-so and he'd be so happy if you helped me home. I, I can't do blonde that well. <laughs> I just, it's like, definitely manipulating the situation, trying to let this guy get away. That's amazing. So I think, I think that had been his bicycle. Um, so, um, I just hoped he got away and, you know, got home with some food. Um, and I'm sure you guys, you month. guys, that was, I'm sure you guys crossed some paths. 
in another life or two. Probably. <laughs> so that's what happened in that first one. And in the second life could not have been a more stark contrast. So the uh, therapist, hypnotherapist was helping me orient to where I was. And I'm looking down at myself again to orient to the body and understand where I am. And I'm like, oh, wow. First of all, I was thrown off because I was in prison um, and I was chained to the wall with a oh, super long um, chain so I could move around a little bit. I can tell I've been there a really long time because my I'm freezing. My clothes are like thin, 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 tattered and torn. And also my hair was like well below my shoulders and I was a male. So I was also thrown off. I'm like, am I looking at some other guy? And then I'm like, nope, that's me. <laughs> So, but it, it threw me off at first to be in the opposite in another gender. So she asked me and she's like, um, and she was trying to, you know, kind of soothe me. She's like, it's going to be okay. You know, this was a long time ago. And then she asked me, um, you know, if I knew my name and if I knew where I was and if I had a feeling for how I got into the situation. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. now back to the show. And it turned out it was the Spanish um, Inquisition and books were being burned. And I was a young male school teacher and I could not stand the books being burned. So I had been there and had witnessed one of those big for show intimidation fires. And I waited. I thought everybody was gone. And I went and I, I pulled a couple books that I thought I could save out of the fire. That was enough. So I got imprisoned because I didn't know my name had already, already been on the list, the watch list, because I had been teaching people how to read. God and that forbid. was forbidden. Oh my God. So um, certified spiritual teacher now. <laughs> teacher then and I could not stand the books being burned so she led me through as much of the life as she could because we were running up on our on our on our two hours um, but more of it filled in I'm glad to say I was able to get out of prison I was probably in there about two years but I was young and healthy when I went in so despite the mistreatment I was able to survive I did get out I did regain my health and I did go back to teaching people how to read, but I learned how to be very um, circumspect with it. And I did that for the rest of my life and no bones about it. That's awesome. So now, that's the I, first two I found. That's an amazing, that's an amazing story. Now, what's the difference between a past life regression and an LB? life between lives. Um, a past life regression um, typically lasts one to two hours and it's a it's a certain level it's a beautiful level of of uh, therapeutic trance but it's at a certain level of depth and you know we just naturally go up and down all the time all hypnotherapy is it's not someone taking your free will away from you i can't dangle a watch in front of you like they showed make you bark like a dog yeah. force you, you know, <laughs> to, to bark do like that. a dog it's free will <laughs> Yeah. Hello. You know, we're working hard to get people to relax. Look how overbooked and overstressed and sure. overstimulated we are. It's a big deal to get people to relax to that, you know, lovely level. It's you feel kind of like you're falling asleep at night 
when you first wake up in the morning, you just, you just feel like that, that that's sure. all that altered state is, or someone who knows how to meditate. It's a huge plus to have any spiritual practice mm-hmm. or, or runner, anyone who knows runners high. Mm-hmm. The, the um, zone. Just the zone. That, yeah, the zone. Anyone who knows how to get in the zone, be in the zone, put themselves in the zone. That's a really good client. Um, because you just, you do it, you do it more easily. You work with the person more easily. So you're at a certain level for the past life regression, life between lives. It's a much deeper level. So it's a much longer induction, purposefully, very boring, very long induction, because you're then going to be speaking directly to the soul, to the higher self the whole time. You go into a past life very briefly, just to segue to meet up with the soul. And you're then going to ask the soul this series of fascinating questions. Why did you choose your parents? What's your purpose on earth? Uh, Why did you choose this body? Okay, let's go in utero now. Let's go back to when you were being gestated for this lifetime. Can you hear your mother? Can you hear your father? When did your soul first join the fetus? Um, Do you stay full time at that point? Do you go in and out when mom is sleeping? What do you do? What do you do when you're in utero? What do you do when you're at home? It's just this fascinating, fascinating um, big picture. There's about uh, 12 uh, stops on the train um, that, that we typically do during these sessions. So as well as that whole, you know, framing from the beginning of life of what you planned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but then you, you, you go home, you meet with your council of elders, you meet with your soul family, you can recreate, um, you can learn what you do when you're at home. Like I was fascinated to learn my job at home for eons when I'm not incarnated, when I'm not in a body, is I worked in the Akashic Records. I was an Akashic Records uh, librarian, uh, so to speak. So it takes a lot of skill to find the exact book for that person. Typically, people come in and they've got a guide with them or an angel with them. Occasionally, people are advanced enough they can come on their own and they'll ask to see their book of life. So you finding the book of life for them, but typically you don't just hand the book over. Typically there's some counseling going on. What are you working on? What do you want to know? Cause you right. don't typically hand over the whole book of life and you never hand over someone else's book of life. It's you, you're only privy to your own information. So I was an Akashic records librarian for, for eons before I became a guide, became a, a let's call it a junior junior spirit guide, a guide in training. Um, But so I think it's why I love and communicate so well with guides now, because I'd started that pathway of that training myself. And let me tell you, it's very hard to guide people on this planet because most people are doing la, 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 la. (laughs) Yes, they are. I don't want to hear you. They have a profound experience, an amazing breakthrough, wonderful experience, and they don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Just like me with the NDE and just like, I'm going to shut a lid on that for 20 years because I don't know how to process it. So, you know, people have to often have to keep being shaken to be waken. 
So, you know, that's why we go through some of the, the trauma, you know, we go through the job loss, the marriage right. breaking up, you know, losing, losing loved ones, um, being, you know, whatever it might be, uh, losing a house, whatever it might be, the car crash, whatever it might sure. be. Yeah. Um, those are turning do. points. Those yeah. are turning points. And it's fascinating that we've chosen a lot of them. I'm not saying they're fun or easy, sure. but my car was totaled in 2018 and I had been so on hyper alert that day. It's like I knew it was coming. So I'd asked um, my, my guides and angels very carefully before I pulled into the parking lot. I'm like, can I park in here? And there was only one spot left. And they're like, yes, that's perfect. Pull in there. So I did, I went to the event, had a great time. And I'm pulling out after the event very carefully, making a right on a road that's a boulevard. It's mm -hmm. a busy, busy road. But the problem was I couldn't see well because there were parked cars along. Sure, sure, sure. Those two cars that were right there were huge. So I can't like see through them. So I'm nosing out super carefully saying to my angels, is it safe? Can I pull out? And they said, pull out now. I pulled out. Boom. I get spun around almost 300, all the air, three of the six airbags go off. I'm spun back over the sidewalk into the parking lot. I'm on the front steps of the establishment that I just left. Sure. And all I can do is pray, please don't let me hit person or a dog because there were, it was a dog rescue event and there were people sure, and sure, dogs sure, sure, sure. all, and I'm please. Don't but, let me hit anyone. I have to ask you, uh, at that point, do you just go, hey, angels, um, what's up, man? <laughs> yeah, a bit more colorful than that. But yeah, I did. And what'd they say? They said, we're going to take care of business now. We're going to get you all squared away. Go home, take aspirin, do a wheat bag. And when your head is clear of the pain in two or three hours, meditate and we'll answer your questions. You're not going to be able to hear us right now. You're still in the thick of it mm. because I had to call, I chose to call the police sure. um, because obviously I'm at fault. I'm pulling out of a parking sure, lot, sure, sure, the other sure. cars in motion. She hit me so hard. She careened off another car. Oh God. And so this is now a three car and like I said, with those airbags in the front of me, I, mean, yeah, I yeah. could see nothing. I mean, yeah. it was, it was yeah. really horrible. So when I get home and do get my head clear and say, what's up with that? Why did you tell me to pull out? They said, we chose that moment very carefully to clear your fear of authority. And I said, what? Tell me more. They said, you had to call the police. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You had to call the police. And I tried avoiding saying where I was because I called 911. I knew the address. I looked up the address before I called. And they're like, where are you? And I said, I'm at such and such address. She said, fine. Is that a house? Is that a business? Where are you? And I said, I'm next to the Shell gas station. Fine, where are you? I said, I'm across the street from Fred Meyer. She says, fine, where are you? I'm at Hellbent Brewery. Mm -hmm. I know this is gonna kick off 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. A whole series of events or could. Mm-hmm. The policeman was beyond kind. And he said, I do have to ask you because of where you're parked. So interestingly, almost on the front steps, <laughs> I do need to ask you. <laughs> have you had anything to drink tonight? <laughs> have you had anything to drink today? And I said, yes. I was at a dog rescue event and I'm wearing the shirt from the rescue. Sure. Also, by now, people are pouring out of the brewery and saying, Wendy, are you okay? What do you need? And they're all glaring at the the policeman. And they're like, she barely drinks. Wendy, did you even have a beer? I'm like, I got it. I'm okay. And I told him the truth. I said, I had one beer four hours ago and I had a meal before and we had, you know, food just before we left. And he says, you're as clear eyed as can be other than you probably have a concussion. But he's like, I don't, he's like, I don't, I'm not even going to make you walk the line. Yeah. it's just there's yeah, it's nothing obvious. it's obvious. nothing here there's nothing to be worried he says let me just take care of you what do you need and at that point i just burst into tears oh my god and i said i just i don't know where to get my car towed i just sure I sure 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 yeah, walk yeah. me through is the other drivers okay you know you attending to all them because i did not i chose i said i don't need to be taken to the hospital i've got a real stiff neck i sweat i know i've got a minor whiplash um I did not hit my head somehow. Well, I guess because the airbag. Sure. I did not hit my head on the on the uh, steering wheel. I said, "I'm I'm I'm not going to the so hospital." What, so it wasn't like the angel said. There wasn't a, it wasn't a a serious situation for you physically. I had yeah. The serious situation was I had a deep issue with authority, which you... which came up, and the the hypnotherapist had asked me after seeing me lying to a policeman in my first past life and being in prison in the second one she said do you have issues with authority and I looked at her and said no I've never been in trouble with the law I mean I'd like like I like I couldn't work out the question but I had very serious fear of authority I would get mail it could be from the bank it didn't have to be from the IRS Mm -hmm. and I could be expected and I would still be like oh I would see a police car anywhere and I'd be like, oh, it was an absolute fear of authority from multiple past lives. So to have that policeman be so caring, mm-hmm. so helpful, and he told me exactly who to call. And then the tow truck driver was beyond kind and he had an empty bag with him. And he said, just take out of your car because stuff was everywhere from the collision he said let's gather what you might need yeah. i mean they were people were helping me think because i was really rattled as you as you um, would <laughs> literally and physically <laughs> yeah yeah so but everyone and i had i probably had 20 people standing around me from the dog rescue with dogs on leashes and the policeman finally went what do you guys do in the brewery we're like it's a dog rescue event he's like oh this all makes more sense now <laughs> and you can see from? us all and you know in, sure in sure sure I want to, I got to ask you because you've said with your past life regressions, uh, you anxiety went away Mm -hmm. and I've talked to scientists and, uh, spiritual masters and other people who've taken psilocybin or psychedelics of some sort. Yes. And that also takes away anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. It it heals as well. And you said something very interesting is that it made you your awareness opened to something bigger than yourself. And the second you did that, you healed because you're like, well, why am I, this is ridiculous. Why would I have anxiety if, oh, I'm part of all of this. 
But when you're There's such when a bigger you, picture, right? So when you think small, when you think in the I more than in the we, is when you have a lot of these disorders and issues. When you your awareness opens up in any way, you could get it through meditation. You can get it through psilocybin or, or, or uh, you know psychedelics. You can get it through past life. Is that a fair statement to say? That is a fair statement to say. And I would just say, follow your own intuition because right. people know what's right for them. I have right. friends who've gone and done ayahuasca. Sure. You know, there's just, there's just different ways to go, to go at this. Um, a lot of the clients I work with, there's some deep um, childhood trauma from this lifetime Sure. and it can be a mirror echo from other lifetimes. So I just, I just treat that with such reverence because I am so honored that that person was guided that I can help them with that and we just are so careful of how we bring in their higher self and guide so again they only see what they need to see and there's a lot of techniques often it's about forgiveness so what happened with my former boyfriend and what happens with many clients is there's a lesson that's not been mastered mm -hmm. and the reason I kept meeting and re-meeting my former boyfriend after we were complete in insane ways. If you keep meeting, I mean, they were not places we like went to together regularly and we didn't move in the same circles that much for us to keep. I mean, we'd run into each other at the movies. We'd run. It was like, I'm like, how can I stop running into him? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> if that ever happens to you, it means you've got something to complete with that person. Just keep your sense of humor, try and figure out what it is, talk with them. If they won't talk with you, meditate and do it on your own. Cause you absolutely, sometimes people have passed on and we still have business we need to complete. We can do it via meditation. Sure. Just talk with their higher self on the other side. But he and I kept meeting and re-meeting to the point of ridiculous. So we, we got the hint and said, wow, we're supposed to be spiritual seekers together. We're supposed to continue unweaving this. We've not forgiven one another. Mm. There had been multiple lives. We found 21 lives together. This took eight years to get it all figured out and unwoven. You kept running into them for eight years. Jesus. Well, I mean, that went on for about six months after we broke up. And then we're like, I give, we're yeah. supposed to be, we're supposed to be friends. We're supposed to be spiritual seekers together. Got I it. Give. Um, but it, it, because there were so many lives, it took us eight years to, to figure it all out. And it just, we've been married six times, um, you know, lovers, mother and son, older brother, younger sister, uh, best friends. We had served in silent monasteries um, three times in a row, which is hysterical because we're both very verbal. And we're like, oh my God, how do we manage the silent monasteries? <laughs> and we learned the skill of telepathy on earth because he and I had a lot of telepathy together. And I'm like, why? I mean, he could call and before the phone rang, I'd answer it, which you sure. can't do on an iPhone. And when he would call, it would have a different ring to it, even though there was not physical. Sure, sure, sure. You would feel it. And he was the same with me. We would dream the same dream the same night. There was a lot of telepathy. It was from those silent monasteries because we weren't allowed to talk. But we saw each other and we so wanted to talk. We would just wait for lights out. So it's lights out very early. And then we would just start talking via telepathy. <laughs> 
I mean, this is fascinating. I mean, this is like multiple movies, uh, <laughs> seasons and seasons of television. You could write on these things. Uh, by the way, how many lives have you remembered? How many lives have you? I don't. Um, I stopped counting at about um, at around 100. There's at least 125 or so that I have conscious recall of. It's not a numbers game. It's it's not a contest. Some people only need to remember one or two to really improve their life now. It's all about now. And that's such a funny thing for a past life regressionist to say, but that is the whole purpose of the session. Most of my clients are releasing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, PTSD, trauma, or just playing it small. Just that stuck creativity and being afraid to step out and start the business, move, sure. get into the new relationship, leave a relationship, whatever it might be. So being able to help them find some peace and some joy and some love and just settle down where it's a happier life and helping them find their life path and life purpose is a big deal. Occasionally I have younger clients so um, the youngest I've done is um, two 17-year-olds. They are not going to be told their life purpose or life path because mm. we're supposed to stumble around for a while. You figure so it out yourself. It depends on the person's age, sure. how much they'll be told. But if I'm working with someone 50 to 60 and they still don't know, and they're really, they really want to do it and they're really struggling, usually they'll be told. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, let me ask you this. This is something I've heard from a lot of people in the spiritual space. It's like you, I've always asked this question, like how come we forget our past lives? And and when we come into this earth, this, this, this incarnation, and they've said, well, it would interfere too much with yes. this life if you had yes. knowledge of all of your other lives. Exactly. So when you say you remember lives, you remember moments of those lives. You don't remember the lives in, in their entirety, correct? Uh, I have an unusual gift. I have a profound amount of detail, but that's just me. Again, that's not true for everyone. It's not needed, mm -hmm. but it's needed for me because I'm here doing very deep cleanup of my past lives. And I came in Again, Kashyap Records librarian, a person who works with these books of life at home, person who's learning to be a guide. I came in to do the ultimate cleanup on my past lives. I didn't find all of them, Alex. I'm surprised the, the bag checker at QFC doesn't tell me some of my past lives because <laughs> I've had so many people tell them to me and then they'll look at me and go, I've never shared a past life with anyone before. And I'm like, yeah, this is a common occurrence around me <laughs> because so I need to know them. Yeah, that's many your of work. them I found, many of them I found through spontaneously dreams, meditation, past life regression, because I absolutely have sessions myself. Um, but the detail that comes through is phenomenal. Okay, my next book, Regression Healing 2, Joe and Marilyn, I had mm -hmm. to cut it to 120,000 words. Mm -hmm. Cut it. Mm-hmm. It's my past life regression sessions, and there's two from another client, but there's only two clients in this book. Mm -hmm. This is not this is not typical at all. Typically, people just need a little a scene here, a scene there. 
Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You yeah, don't want to see the whole movie. Yeah. Not Correct. the full movie. A scene Correct. here, maybe a scene Correct. there, something to teach a lesson yeah. and to yeah. help relieve some sort of yeah. thing I, that they're going yeah. through. Yeah. Whereas I get the 20 hour mini series version. <laughs> if that's what I need. Right. Or other times I'm in a healing session. Um, I have a, a session for myself every other week with an angel healer. And she, same thing. She's like, gosh, I've never had so many past lives come up for someone. And some of them, I had a sense of, but they were really gnarly and they were really hard and I didn't want to look at them, but they were causing issues. Sure. So when that's true, then this amazing healer can work with you and help you release it. Um, Wendy, some I of can, them were not easy. Wendy, I can keep talking to you for another hour or two. Um, and we haven't even touched upon your other uh, amazing abilities, which we will have to bring you back to another uh, episode to talk about. Oh, I'd love to. Thank Uh, you. But um, I want to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. Uh, What is your definition of living a good life? My definition of living a good life is that you can feel peaceful. You can feel centered. You can feel loving and loved and joy because we're supposed to be able to feel those things, but we get here and we get just so we turn into human doings instead of human beings. So that would be my, my definition. How do you define God? I would define God as freedom, beauty, oneness. I see us all as a spark of the divine. And it doesn't have to have the name God to it. It can be God, goddess. There's so many names but I, I, I respect and I, I'm, I'm fine with the, the, the term God. <laughs> um, and what is the ultimate purpose of life? I believe the ultimate purpose of life is we're here to help God, to help the divine learn more and progress more. I think we're here like in this ultimate animation, this ultimate game or school or play are kind of the three analogies that seem to work the best for me of acting out all these things we agreed to do for us to learn and progress and then i think it gets loaded back up <laughs> to the mainframe to, to the mainframe right. the divine mainframe and, and yeah. just because we come here to experience emotions and many of them are wonderful and a lot of them are not very fun And we come here to have the limits of a human body and to have that veil of amnesia that you referred to. And everyone on the other side thinks we're so incredibly brave, which we are. So we just need to give ourselves, you know, that, that pat on the back, that attaboy, attagirl, you know, you can do it. We're going to figure it out and just, just keep helping one another and be kind, just be kind to one another because we have no idea what they're going through. We have no idea. And where can people find out about, about you and, and the good work that you're doing? Yes. Uh, my website is my full name, wendyrosewilliams.com. And please uh, request a complimentary 15-minute phone appointment from me there and see if I can be of service to you. I can also be found on Amazon and Audible. I do record uh, my own books that I write. And you can find them there by looking um, on them for my full name. Look for Wendy Rose Williams. Because if you look for Wendy Williams, you're going to get something else. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to get something else. <laughs> it will else. not be me. <laughs> and, do you have any so, fi- and do you have any final words for our audience? 
Yes, so just thank uh, everyone for joining us here and know that it absolutely can get easier and better just with uh, an, uh, a hand up. And I'm so happy to give that. And I do that via my own podcast, which I co-host, and it's called Waking Up Spiritually. So you can go to wakingupspiritually.com and just keep following your own intuition and guidance because what's right for your neighbor and your brother and your mother yeah. and your spouse and your dog is not necessarily right for you. Just trust, trust that little quiet voice and give yourself the quiet moments to hear it. It might be when you're in the shower, it might be when you're falling asleep, it might be when you're washing the dishes. It doesn't have to be this hour meditation a day because we can be busy, but just listen and hear that little voice and, and, and act on it. Pay attention to it. Wendy, thank you so much for this conversation. And thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing to help people. Oh, thank you. I you. so appreciate, I so appreciate you, Alex, and what you're doing and, and your audience tuning in. I want to thank Wendy Rose so much for coming on the show and sharing her gifts and knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 236. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.